Hi, this is Cindy Morgan, and you probably know me as Yori in Tron or Lacey Underall in Caddyshack. And you're listening to the Nerd Culture Podcast. Episode 35 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David, and with me are the NCP crew, Richo, Luke, and Crystal. It is uh, very impressive that Richo is with us today because he has a, uh, a bad back, and uh, we're very grateful for his presence. Why, thank you. Luckily, <laughs> his voice still works. That's right. Or was that luck or? The smooth, dulcet My... tones of. All right. <laughs> My sore back just makes me even more opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out, people. So, for those new to the podcast, this Nerd Culture podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on nerd culture related film, book, and comic reviews with a healthy dose of opinion thrown in for good measure. Not only do we have the podcast, we also have our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com which features additional content not found on the podcast itself, including Richo's Who Reviews. Yes, we're up to second season of John Pertwee at the moment, so we're into the good stuff. It is, uh, it's going along strong, and uh, got some really good feedback about it. It's, it's very cool stuff. Excellent. And our series Behind the Counter, which we're very proud of, which uh, focuses on uh, nerd-related uh, stores, you know, comic and uh, uh, merchandise and stuff like that, stores around Australia and New Zealand, which was, we just had uh, a post on Gotham Comics in New Zealand. So it's been going really, really good, really good feedback, great response, and uh, expect some more coming. Uh, so, but uh, for this, you're actually listening to the podcast, you're not on the website. So for those who are interested in the podcast itself, for this episode is part one of our one year later follow-up on our massive review of DC's New 52. So like one year ago, we did a massive review on all the number ones from the New 52 relaunch. It was very popular, and we had a lot of fun doing it, uh, even though it did practically kill us. <laughs> but uh, now it's one It's one year later. They've had their zero issues out. They've all gotten to number 12. So it was a financial success and drew much-needed attention to the comics industry. But here's our chances to, to say whether we thought it was actually a creative success. We also have some interviews with some of the stars of Armageddon Expo Melbourne, uh, which is actually which will be over by the time you're listening to this podcast, but is actually running right now in Melbourne. Uh, it was uh, yesterday and today. I was there yesterday. I attended yesterday. And uh, I've just got to say a, a massive shout-out to the folks that are, are running Armageddon Expo this year. They have pulled out all the stops. Um, they were very generous in giving uh, the media uh, some attentions and some time with the stars. Uh, Friday, they actually had a meet-and-greet uh, with some of the stars they didn't have to do uh, but it was just absolutely awesome that they did i cannot thank them enough and uh, i just hope them all the best uh, I, I did speak to a couple of the organizers when i was there yesterday and uh, they said that it was a record-breaking year for them and they deserve it because they just it was just it was awesome they've got they've just they're, i mean they're old hats by now the, the setup was excellent um there was no bottlenecks uh everybody was happy it all crowds you know moved in freely there was no waiting lines and the way they treated the media was just excellent. And, uh, you know, a great lineup of stars. So, gratis to again Expo, uh, another successful year. In fact, I got so many interviews that, uh, like our 52 One Year Later review, I'm going to have to actually split some of them into, into a two parts. Uh, so, for this episode, I'll have Bruce Boxleitner, Cindy Morgan, and Charles Martinet. 
And in the next episode, I'll have Terry Malloy, Ian Churchill, Frank Candelero, and Paul Bedford. So first up, our new 52 One Year Later Review, Part 1. When lights are around table, we dance where we're able. We do routines, we call the scenes, we put work in fake cable. We dine well here in Camelot, we eat ham and jam and spam off. Okay, so like I said in the intro, our follow-up to the DC's New 52. Uh, not a very exciting segment for Token Girl. Just prodding you for another one. <laughs> <laughs> he did, she, she did participate in the uh, the massive first issue uh, reviews, but has, just, has decided to decline the, the follow-up. The, the, the day spent in uh, freezing Kaikoura reading comics, whilst she's <laughs> still vivid in the mind. <laughs> Burned into your memory. Burned into my brain. The cold or the reading comics? <laughs> Which was the lower? Which was the lowest of the two evils? <laughs> oh wow! And this time around, there's twelve issues plus a zero issue for each book, rather than just the one issue. It was a massive effort. We've all read them all, and uh, wow, it took ages. <laughs> exhausting to say the least. It was exhausting. It's just crazy stuff. Uh, so we'll start off with we'll start off with the positives, eh? Mm. We'll start off with the standouts. So mm. I've actually split it up into. Uh, like I said, it's, it's, part, it's two parts, but so for part one, we'll talk about our standout titles, so the ones that we just think are the, the greatest titles of the batches, um, and our special mentions, so not quite good enough to be the standouts, but still solid books. Then in part two, we'll talk about our bottom of the barrels, so the, basically the crap ones. And, uh, and then I'll just general overview of the year. You know, was it, it, it was a huge financial success for DC, but uh, was it a creative success? So to start us off with our standouts... We've got Luke with Animal Man. Animal Man is written by Jeff Lemire and illustrated by Travel Foreman. Um, and the reason why I put it on was because of all of them, this was probably the big surprise. No one expected a title featuring a B-stringer like Animal Man to be not only one of the financial successes, but one of the big creative successes as well. Everyone was talking about this and saying what a good book it is. And it is a very good book. The series follows Buddy Baker, um, stuntman turned superhero, and his attempts to save his family fr- um, from the threat of the rot. Um, but the rot, which uh, embraces death, decay, um, and the like, all as part of the cycle that Jeff Lemire and Scott Snyder have set up. Um, so the red, the, the green. Red, the green and the, the rot. rot. Um, but the rot is starting to take over. It's trying to dominate. Um, and... Buddy Baker, being um, the current avatar of the Red, is forced to confront that. Um, one of the one of the keys to it, I think, is the fact that Buddy Baker has a family that he tries to keep grounded and tries to protect. And the problem is that Maxine is now is now destined to be the new Red Avatar. Mm. It is a, it is not a typical superhero book. It is more of a horror book, uh, but a good horror. It's not just about gore and flesh eating zombies and things like that. It's more about the horror of the situation and finding yourself in a position where you there's absolutely no hope um, whatsoever and Trouble Foreman's artwork rises to the occasion. This is one of the standouts. Uh, next up is Richo with Swamp Thing. Well, the interesting thing with Swamp Thing is that it's actually a very nice companion piece to Animal Man. Hmm. It's written by Scott Snyder, who is actually one of the heroes, I think, of the of the relaunch of the New 52 um, and drawn by uh, Yannick Pacwa. Swamp Thing tells the story of Alec Holland, who um, is one of the avatars of the Green and is trying desperately not to be. He has the memories of Swamp Thing, um, but he's actually not Swamp Thing, at least not initially. Um, He's just 
has the same memories and is trying to deal with that and trying to live his life whilst um, unfortunately being sort of pressured into becoming an avatar for the green and battling the rot. Yeah, and so the, the two books, whilst they're actually standalone, Animal mm. Man and Swamp Thing are standalone books and you can read each one individually, the fact is they're also telling a much larger picture if you're reading both books. Mm. I love the fact that there's, you know, if you want to read both, you're getting a much larger picture. Um, however, you can just read them as standalone books as well. And um, yeah, much like Animal Man, the fact that Swamp Thing has been one of the creative successes um, of the New 52 is just amazing. And it's, it's so good to see the character back you know, back in at the top again. Okay, well, next up we've got myself with Birds of Prey. It's kind of odd for me to have a Bird of Prey. Oh. It's kind of odd for me to have Birds of Prey as a standout because I actually didn't really think much of the first issue at all. Um, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. It was all pretty ordinary. And I've never really been that big a fan of Birds of Prey as a concept with you know any of their earlier stuff. I'm not saying it's bad, it just wasn't really my thing. Um, but for me, it's just it's been one of the titles that has just been not only consistently good. But it's interesting, and uh, it's it's actually made me feel for the characters. So, Birds of Prey is written by Dwayne uh, Swarovski and illustrated by. I was Jesus Sayers to begin with, but I actually think now Travel Foreman has moved on to Birds of Prey, um, and deals with uh, the main character being Black Canary um, and her group of female, uh, I guess you'd call them mercenaries, who um, try to you know go out and help people and solve cases and stuff like that around Gotham and also around the world internationally. Her companions are currently Poison Ivy uh, and who's, you know, who, who claims that she's trying to trying to do good, <laughs> but uh, of course isn't. And Katana, who is awesome, uh, who has a sword who which she thinks has the soul of her husband in it. And uh, I think she's right, but some people just think she's crazy. And Sparrow, who's a you know, super tough, go get him type character. Nothing, I mean, it's nothing, in the grand scheme of things, there's really nothing new, it's all been done before, but I just, I think it's just, it's, uh, like I said, consistently good, and it just makes me, makes me feel for the characters, I'm just, I was quite surprised by that, which is why I think I put it in the standouts, and I've just, I've read every, every issue, and will continue to read it. Okay, back to Luke with Batman. Okay, as it's no secret to anybody listening to our podcast, I am a massive Batman fan, and... As such, really, the inclusion of Batman probably isn't a surprise. It was, it's a surprise to me because, um, unlike some of the other titles that we'll be discussing, um, I already was already aware of the quality beforehand and had and had no preconceived notions that they were going to be as good or get better. With Batman, I had no such preconceptions. Scott Snyder's run on Detective was good, but even he upped his game here. This current run is written by Scott Snyder and illustrated by Greg Capullo. And basically, Scott Snyder has done the story that should have been done 10 years ago, which is there is a secret in Gotham City that not even Batman knows. Mm. And he ran with it, and we've had this year-long storyline involving probably one of the more fascinating aspects of the Batman mythos to come to light in um, recent memory, which is the Court of the Owls. They're and the awesome a, enforces the Talons. And, and the Talons, um, they are a formidable force, not, not everything has been revealed yet, and we even have a new side villain, possibly in, spoiler alert, Owlman, mm. who is represented as the I Want Reveal. Yeah, it's been consistently good. It's been one of the best Batman runs I've read in about 10 years. Yeah. It's the one where I know quite clearly what's going on. Yeah. Um, I don't need to have read, unlike in, say, like Green Lantern, I don't need to read previous ones. Yeah. But it's the one where the essence of the character has remained true. Yeah. And the writer has actually 
tried to tell stories with that. So next up we have Richo. Um, we have I have been going around uh, to each person with each title, but uh, Richo's next two titles um, are actually sort of complement each other. So Richo with Earth Two and World's Finest. Well, much the same way that Luke is a massive Batman fan, I love Earth Two, and I always have. I've been a big fan of the Earth Two concept for thirty plus years now, and it's the thing that really got me into DC. This is a very different take on the Earth 2 concept. Um, the book is actually set in the present and it's dealing with the origins of characters, so you don't get that uh, World War II uh, connection that the original books had, but um, it's set on a world where Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman, uh, forming the trinity that they formed in the regular DC Universe, um, have been killed. And a new group of heroes is starting to emerge. Um, the names will be familiar, uh, Green Lantern, The Flash, Hawk Girl, um, the Atom and so on, but uh, it's a completely different take on these characters. Um, it's written by James Robinson, who is no stranger to Earth 2, for anybody that's read Starman and the Golden Age, and uh, drawn by Australia's own Nicola Scott, and my God, has she she's kicked it up a notch on this book. The, the first thing I noticed when I read the first issue was the artwork, but it's look, it's a great story, um, it's a big epic feel to it, and um, I'm just loving the book. It's uh, part of the second wave of launches. Uh, so it's only five issues in. Yeah. Uh, only five issues in to date. Um, but it's just, it's just become a standout straight away for me. World's Finest, um, as uh, David said, is a companion book. Uh, it features Power Girl and the Huntress, who are actually Supergirl and Robin from Earth 2. But... They've become trapped in, um, in the main DC universe and uh, are unable to get back to their to their home at the moment. Um, it's written by Paul Levitz, who is no stranger to either of the characters. He actually created the Huntress uh, back in the seventies, the original version of the Huntress, and it's drawn by George Perez and Kevin Maguire. And honestly, you're not going to get a better art combination than those two. Um, um, and I'm just, I'm loving both of these books, even though they are both only five issues in, they've become standout books for me straight away. It's actually funny, as I remember I was asking you guys which books you wanted to cover, it was a fight for Earth 2 and Earth Fires, mm. because we, I mean, I mean, not a huge fight, but we're all friends here, but it's just, I mean, everybody wanted to cover those books, mm, so yeah. that'll give you an idea of, you know, how just how good those books are, and I agree with everything you said. Mm. Uh, so next up we've got me with Green Lantern. Green Lantern is written by Jeff Johns and penciled by Doug Mankey. And they're doing an excellent job. Um, I was a bit bit critical of uh, Green Lantern number one because uh, DC, the new 52, was meant to be a relaunch of all the titles and a revamp and a whole new universe. But Green Lantern clearly wasn't. <laughs> so all the Green Lantern titles just continued on from you know War of the Lands and away they went. Um, and I found that actually kind of annoying. Uh, but... Yeah, I'm cool with it, because uh, 12 issues in, it's they've continued on the story, we get to see Sinestro as a Green Lantern, and he's in a conflict with it, and i got to tell you, it, it's great stuff. Mm. Um, it's, it's a whole new facet of Sinestro's character. Um, Hal Jordan's not as all-powerful as he usually was. I mean, now he's just got... Um, well, now he's got a, a proper ring, but, but, but halfway through, he got a ring that Sinestro made for him, which was, you know, depowered. And it's just, just, just watching them just interact... Um, has just been an absolute joy and uh, this new storyline with this third army that's occurring mm. at the moment um, at first I thought really is that the best you can do uh, but now I am completely into it yep. it's uh, I need to know 
Um, and now with the introduction of a new lantern, uh, this new uh, Muslim lantern, yep. um, I just it can only get better from here. So it's uh, it's definitely the best of the green lantern titles, um, and for me one of the standout of uh, the new Fifty Two. Uh, so then we'll go. We'll hit back to Luke for Batwoman. Batwoman, like Green Lantern, um, started where the original series left off, which is um, if you if you're a fan of the the previous one, it was pretty much following on. Um, it follows the life and travails of uh, Kate Kane as she tries to deal with tries to cope with her sidekick who's been beaten up and left for dead in the hospital. Um, the fact that she's a lesbian who's dating a cop, but the cop is kind of getting a bit suspicious and angry with Kate about her sudden disappearances, whilst also spending her nights dressed as a, le- a leather-clad, absolutely tough crime fighter who is now um, being who has now been blackmailed into working for the DEO. So we get the return of Agent Cameron Chase, which has been awesome. Awesome! Um, and, of course, the return of DEO, the head of the DEO, um, Agent Bones, as well. It's written by, co-written by W. John Blackman and uh, J.H. Williams III. And this really is J.H. Williams III's book. His writing's not too bad, but the artwork is magnificent. Dave was, Richo was talking about Nicholas Scott, now she's te- stepped it up a notch. J.H. Uh, Williams, the J.H. Th- Williams, who had stepped it up a notch, with his previous Batwoman run, has you know pretty much gone all out. Just decided this is now my character. It's my book. This is how we do it, and it's just been a, a knockout book. So we'll finish up the standouts with uh, myself. Uh, I actually had a bit of a toss up between uh, this title and one of the other titles, which will be my special mention. But I decided to go with Wonder Woman, uh, which has been written by Brian Azzarello and penciled by Cliff Chang. Now, what surprised me about this is, uh, once again, the first issue, uh, I really wasn't that impressed. Um, It was, you know, it was solid. Uh, I mean, Brian Azzarello is always at least solid. Uh, But it's, it really, I mean, it wasn't that impressive at all. But once I actually got into the issues itself, my love for mythology uh, basically took over. And uh, just the quality of the writing sort of just grabbed me. I think this is an excellent portrayal of of how Wonder Woman should be. I mean, this is this is how Diana should act. I mean, she is not one of us. She's born and raised a princess on an, on an island of warrior women. She should be a warrior woman. And uh, and that's exactly how she is. I mean, basically, she pulls no punches, she takes no crap, and she does whatever she wants to do. And what's good about it is that she's not always right. And that's I love that. I mean, she actually is one of my favourite sequences is where she, they, go to, they go to talk to Hephaestus, uh, who has you know all the the males from when the Amazons uh, give birth? If they give birth to a female, then awesome. Then she joins the ranks. But if they give birth to a male, they're they're discarded. And she thinks that um, that they've actually been enslaved by Hephaestus to to work in the forges. And it turns out that she's actually wrong, and that they actually love their master, and he's actually saved them. And just the look on her face. I mean, just, uh, Cliff Chan's artwork is just portrays it all. She's just she's being proven wrong, and she's ashamed. Um, it's just it's really great stuff. It's consistently good. Um, but it's just like I said, a standout for me. So that's our standouts. So next up, we'll have our special mentions. We'll continue the good theme, <laughs> the things we liked about the new Fifty Two, and then in part two, we'll talk about uh, our bottom of the barrels. Okay, so for our special mentions, we'll start off with Young Luke uh, with Justice League International. This is a special mention for me. It wasn't quite um, up there with say Earth Two in terms of team books. But it's certainly nowhere near the bottom of the barrel, which we'll talk about 
episode. next episode. Um, one of the things, it, it maintained a consistent solidity. It was always entertaining. It's always great to have a book starring Booster and Guy in it. They play off so well with each other. Plus, um, Dan Jurgens has a nice handle on Batman. He, you know, does what he does the Batman thing of being there when he needs to be there, but doesn't actually make the mistake of having Batman dominate the entire thing. It is, you know, Booster is Dan Jurgens' character, and it it's his book. Uh, plus, also the inclusion of fan favorites, um, August General and Iron. And the Red Rocket created by Judd Winnick and Keith Giffen in Brightest Day, their, their Brightest Day book, I thought was um, a nice inclusion. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Richo. Richo actually snuck in two special mentions. I'm sneaky like and that. Because he did, <laughs> I did as well. <laughs> so we've got uh, See what you Richo with Omac and Batgirl. Yeah, I'm a bit uh, distraught about Omac because it actually got cancelled after eight issues. But um, this book was just fun. You know, in, in an age when, you know, finding comic books that are actually fun and entertaining and just full of, you know, action and adventure, it's very hard. You know, everyone's so serious and grim and gritty these days. So have a good, fun, entertaining book like OMAC. Um, I just loved it. I loved it for the eight issues that we got. And it's just unfortunate that it never really, you know, really picked up because, yeah, it was just a cool book to read, mm. you know. I just found myself enjoying it. And it's such a rarity these days. Um Batgirl, um, Batgirl was a bit of a controversial book because it involved Barbara Gordon actually regaining the ability to walk and becoming Batgirl again. Um, I've always loved Batgirl as a character anyway, um, and I did love Oracle. And the great thing about this book is that uh, Gail Simone, who has really done probably the, the best amount of work with, um, uh, with Barbara Gordon over the last few years and really made her a standout character, um, has just continued that, that story on. Has just, you know, there's, she's acknowledged that you know that the 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 time in a wheelchair happened her time as oracle happened now she's back and and that's playing into the book and i'm just i think that's fantastic it's a great character study book and um yeah it's just it has been a bit of a standout for me not quite as much as the ones obviously my standout list. As a, the one thing about OMAC that I agree with is just total fun is that uh, I love the, the name of the title OMACTIVATE OMACTIVATE <laughs> just, it I've gets found, me every time I found myself saying that quite a bit just in life <laughs> which so the, is possibly kind of sad but anyway and now I know what he's actually talking about OMACTIVATE <laughs> so now there we've got my uh, special mentions uh, it's like I said I snuck in too as well uh, Batwin and Supergirl so uh, we'll start with uh, Supergirl Supergirl was, was like was when I was saying about Wonder Woman was, was going to be my standout, but um, Wonder Woman uh, pipped it at the post. Um, Supergirl, I've always I've always been a fan of Supergirl as a character. It's basically without having Superboy around, and the new Fifty Two version of Superboy sucks. Um, so with a with the it's basically a sort of a teenage version of Superman, I suppose. But you know, from a female perspective, and that's always interesting. I always like in- reading interesting, well thought out female characters, um, and I also quite like the the. Supergirl not really understanding where she, I mean she hasn't had the, the, the time with the Kents um, like Superman has and, and grown up uh, on Earth so she doesn't really understand the, the customs and what's actually going on and, and her own strength she's actually more powerful than Superman in the New 52 universe which is kind of weird um, but I quite like it and she has uh, some sort of varying, uh, varying sort of abilities like the ability to store solar energy uh, like Superman does but then to actually project it um, so it's pretty cool um uh, I also uh, chose Batwing because uh, it's a, a similar sort of thing as well, the first issue of Batwing. I really wasn't that impressed. It was it was kind of well, you know, it's solid, but you know, not that really outstanding. Uh, but I really love the art 
it really is fantastic stuff. It has a sort of a look of a sort of a painted sort of feel to it. Not quite up there with J.H. Williams III, mm. but, you know, pretty good for a monthly book. Mm. Um, and uh, the character himself has grown on me. I mean, at first I thought he was just kind of derivative. It's like, well, you know, it's just a, another excuse for an, a, another action figure sort of thing. So, But I, I let my cynical nature go and uh, sort of really got into it. And, and they've, they've delved, obviously now in, with, the, with the Twelve Issues and the Zero, they've delved a bit more into his back history. And it's sort of, it's... He, uh, so he's actually, so for those who don't know, he's, a, he's an, an African uh, Batman, a part of the, the Batman Incorporated uh, series, and um, he's been given a suit by uh, Bruce in order to fight crime in Africa and stuff. And it sort of deals into uh, the, the child soldiers. He was actually a child soldier uh, with his brother, and so it deals into a bit of that. So, so he's, his conflict is, with, I mean, with Batman, it was, you know, he, he witnessed the violence of the, of the death of his parents firsthand and sort of vowed to not let that happen again, whereas... Batwing committed that violence. So Batwing actually has murdered multiple people as a child, and how does that affect you as a person? And so he's battle against his own demons and to, to keep the Batman code and not kill people, and yet still manage to fight crime and, and the injustice and the political uh, political crime that he basically has to fight in Africa on a day-to-day basis. And uh, the main villain that he's had for the first you know major run of this story with the what is his name? Massacre or whatever his name is. He's uh, he's awesome. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I just it really has grown on me, and just I, I just I just love the personality of um, Batwing himself, and uh, and I'll definitely I'll keep reading it. That's one of the books I cancelled. Oh well, there you go. I'm not a fan of Judd Link, and I just wasn't thinking. I just didn't think his writing was up to muster. So okay, fair enough. Um, so I guess that's a good segue into what will be part two. So in the next episode, we'll talk about the the, the comics that just were not up to muster. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's putting it lightly. Um, and then our general overview of uh, the new Fifty Two itself. So uh, look forward to that. Stay tuned. Coming up next, we have our first batch of Armageddon Expo interviews. Very exciting. Uh, I also just did a quick point out that the sound quality is of variance because uh, it was like people in the, uh, around doing interviews as well and uh, a couple of interviews are actually on the event, um, again, expo floor. So I apologise if there's anything in the background that, uh, that, dis- that disturbs you or is, is annoying. But uh, um, you got to do what you got to do and the chance to talk to these people, I cannot tell you how excited I was. So uh, hopefully that comes through. Uh, so next up, the interviews. First up, we're actually going to have uh, Mr. Bruce Boxleitner, uh, who, of course, you'll know from... Uh, as Captain Sheridan from Babylon 5 and Tron from both Tron and Tron Legacy and uh, of course the TV show Scarecrow and Mrs. Kin and a whole bunch of other stuff. The reason I'm introducing him here like this is because uh, he was so eager to talk. Uh, bless him that uh, I actually didn't get a chance to do an in- uh, introduction in the interview itself but uh, but that is cool. Uh, he was an absolute delight. Uh, so coming up, Mr. Bruce Boxleitner. So uh, you live here in Melbourne? I do, yes, all my life. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, yep. I was here time? back in 1990. I was here for a couple of months. I did a movie. Yep. It was called Breakaway, and I, ho- I dare anyone here in Australia to find it. Right. And uh, I don't know if it ever played. In, I don't know where it ever played. Okay. I had a marvelous time doing it, though. Yeah. You know, I've always been a big fan of Australian films. Um, cool. I feel we have a lot in common to two countries so far, especially our westerns. You know, Ned Kelly and all yep. those things. Uh, Proposition a couple of years ago, which was serious stuff. And you're obviously a western fan, so she's. Oh yeah, that's my whole roots. Yeah. That's where I, I, yeah. I came from. So uh, uh, 
I see everything through that sort of prism. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Even science fiction. It's all cool. Western, you know. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, have you seen the... It's the same morality play. It's good yeah. and evil same, versus evil. Same thing, yeah. Heroes, villains. I mean, Star Wars is basically a Western in space. Certainly. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Uh, Fire, have you seen Joss Whedon's Firefly? Firefly Which is a, a Western in yes, space. Yes, it exactly is. Yeah. It's it great. didn't last long enough. No, it didn't, but it was awesome. I was just getting into it and went off. Yeah. That's the same with everybody. And, uh, which, was, it's a bone I have to pick with somebody because, uh, you know, we did Babylon 5 for five years and can't get a... Uh, a, a movie made out of it, hmm. and uh, Firefly was what on one season. One season. One season <laughs> gets a full blown motion picture. Where yeah, is the Where is the justice? That's you you have like had a know. couple of tele movies. Well, tele movies, but they they actually got a big yeah. studio feature yeah. film. You know, yeah, Ser- sure. uh, Serenity. Right? Yeah, Serenity. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway. <laughs> I'm the only one in Babylon 5 to represent us here. Uh, Mira Furlan. Is, is Mira not here? She did not oh. make it. And, uh, uh, last minute, she lost her passport. And she did. Uh, she would not flag on it. No, was, no. We had just done this Dragon Con in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, yeah. a month or so ago. And uh, it worked. It was nice to, you know, after so long apart, uh, get back together again. Like Cindy and I did. Now, that's... Yeah. That's our whole act. Yeah. We're the battling Dickersons. Uh, you often attend cons together, don't you? I have recently. Yeah. Only in recent, this last year. Right. I hadn't been in a long time, but we've been doing something. We, and, we, uh, we anyway, obviously get along very well. I mean, you we had, do, I mean, Brynham Back Alive, Tron. Well, Tron. Tron came first. Yeah. I was uh, producing Brynham Back Alive, and I thought of Cindy immediately, and we just kind of come off of that. So yeah. She, uh, and she looked, uh, you know, it was hard because we were doing a period piece and um, to find an actress and I, it just was wonderful how it worked out to find an actress that could look like that period yeah. and wear those kind of clothes yeah. and those big shoulders and the hair. Not every contemporary actress no. can do that. They look too contemporary. Yeah, exactly. She looked right out of the period. Yeah. And, uh, that was a great little show. You ever, it was ever, a fun show. I yeah. loved doing it. A friend of mine's and, uh, actually got it on VHS. Really? Video cassette. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I watched it last year. That's the only thing we had. I, I, yeah. I, have a, I have a bootleg. We only made 17 episodes. Yeah. Um, and I went right from that into the next year into uh, Scarecrow and the King. Yep. And that was only out of, because uh, that was CBS's sort of promise to me that uh, you know, they loved Bring Back but wasn't doing the, the numbers that they needed there to have an older audience. Hmm. And, I found that kind of weird because at, this, at the time Indiana Jones and well, that huge. type of thing was yeah, huge. Yeah. And, uh, but it did. It skewed a little older than they wanted. Uh, I always thought you would have been I, good in a King Solomon's Mines. Alan Quartermain. There you go. That would have been cool. I would have loved that. If I was British, I would have loved yeah. Yeah. Patrick uh, Tracy's not British and he, <laughs> he gave it a shot. I guess Richard Chamberlain did it, didn't he? But, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. But Sean Connery, you can get around him. Cool. But yeah, Tron has, Tron has been the, the biggest surprise for me. Um, well, it, do, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't define, I mean, you're not defined by your role in Tron. No, no, no. no. But it but seems, you know what, it seems I, to be the one that you love. Well, I, yeah, because it was something I created. I didn't want to see somebody else doing it. That exactly. Would be terrible. Yeah. Uh, but in the same, it's not I mean, like same James here. Bond or something no. like that. And, but who knew, 28 years later, that we would be shooting another movie. Uh, other movie, yeah, and in a and sort of sequel in a real time, and then yeah. doing still doing the uh, animated yeah. series. Yeah. We have the second part just premiering this month now. So. Yeah, 
I love uprising. I think it, it's excellent. It's really well done. Yeah, it's uh, very, very I'm cool. I'm so proud of that. I mean, yeah. I, to me, it's as good as any of the movies. I mean, yeah. I think so. And the, the creator um, said that he really liked it as well. And said he was, did? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just yeah, think we, it should be do, on like yeah. mid, early evening. Yeah, I agree. Because I think both, uh, it's not for little kiddies, it's for definitely young people yeah. and adults. It doesn't go quite as far as sort of say Archer, which is very much adults, it's sort of in between. Yeah. What, what yeah, I really yeah. love about it is that it's not. They didn't, they didn't, a good example. Yeah. yeah, they didn't try to shoehorn it into the universe. I mean, it quite clearly fits oh, and easily. bridges the gap. And easily. It's, and uh, and it's, I don't it's know, so did well you see Scars? Yes. As to how uh, Rensselaer comes about? Yes. It answers a lot of people's questions. It does. That I don't have to do anymore. Yes. I'm <laughs> <laughs> only fan conventions. <laughs> how did he come? How did he, how did he do this? How did, did he become that? I'm going, uh, uh, how do I answer this? I don't know. <laughs> I Surely mean, it was kind of explained in Legacy. Yeah. But people want, you know, people are really wonky on things. They really yeah. want to know what is hot. Oh, you I get your hardcore who really. Yes, and yeah. I don't have it for you, pal. <laughs> you know, I didn't write it. Surely you give it a go, though. I mean, you, I tried. I mean, you and I Cindy did that fake uh, interview for Legacy, which was awesome. Yes, we who, did all of that. Yeah, right. whose that idea was, was that? That was great. Uh, they, they had a uh, company they hired, and they, we literally started. It's called the next day. On the yeah, DVD, and it was almost. It was like uh, uh, two months later, right. and we were doing that. And uh, we did the Flynn Libs, yeah, uh, Flynn Libs things uh, live in yeah. San Francisco before a huge audience that was just they knew about it. They were mostly fans. They had gone out. See, this is where using the web, using um, the internet to it was so out of the box. Yeah, thinking for promotion, it was thrilling to be a part of. And I was scared to death because Cindy was there as well. And um, we went down into the Embarcadero. They had this huge stage stuff. I mean, they must have, I don't know how they were doing it. And that whole stunt with the helicopter. With the helicopter, right? yeah. That yeah. was for real. Yeah, that's great stuff. But here I'm up there with the presidential uh, teleprompters. Yeah. And I'm reading. Uh, and I'm, you know, I know how to sell it to the audience. And I'm doing Alan Bradley. Yeah. And then it says, comes up and says, and Alan hears helicopter. I don't hear a helicopter. <laughs> so I am, and in truth, and they edited this wonderfully, I'm vamping away as though I'm a political candidate here. I'm talking, I'm doing Q&A, they're shouting out answers. I'm doing everything. I'm vamping away because I, I look back and they keep they keep going. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it had that essence. It was so wonderful because we had no rehearsal. We had never no. rehearsed it. No. But you knew the helicopter was coming eventually. No? No, I did not. No, Because wow. I'm out on stage. Yep. No, I don't have any like little yeah, no secret mic. service thing in yeah. my ear yeah. going, Bruce, Oakland, across <laughs> the bay, yep. it has been grounded. Oh. Because that night, as you can see, there was wind blowing, yes. and apparently over on that side of the bay, it was, so the FAA had kept it down, yeah. and uh, uh, the stunt guy doubling for Garrett, and I thought, all oh, that cut beautifully together, Garrett getting in there yeah. and looking out and yeah. everything. They shot that stuff earlier that evening. Right. And it, suddenly this wind was coming up. It was getting more and more for an evening. And it was a little a rain come down. But the crowd hang, hung in there. And yeah. then I hear this helicopter. <laughs> and they find out that despite the FA ruling, they took off anyway. Wow. And the guy then was told not to jump. It was too dangerous. The guy jumps. Oh. And you see that thing. And, it, and you hear all those people. What is it? Uh, looks like a paddock. Oh my God, it's a guy. And he's parasailing down yeah. as Garrett. Wow. 
And then he comes in, and he swoops right through, almost hits the stage, and takes out two police barriers. Wow. You know those things they put up to cordon yeah. off crowds? Yeah. <laughs> was he okay? Yeah. Oh, Got up, packed yeah. his chute, jumped in the van, and took off. Off he went. And that was what you saw. Yeah. You, you know, so it was a, what a, I said, this should be in the movie. And oh, for ironically, sure. it, it did. Yeah. Because in the whole packaging of um, Tron Legacy, uh, yeah. We had all of that. Is there anything you can tell us about Tron 3? I had known nothing about it. No? You know, I've it, gotten right? in so much trouble because yeah. on YouTube I was uh, I was caught at a convention going, oh, it's a done deal. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Some kid took that for real and ran with it. Oh. And um, all I can say is I know it's in San Diego Comic Con, the biggest con in the States, yeah. um, that they uh, openly announced it. So yes. I'm not that that it's in, it's in development. Um, that can be code speak for I don't know when that'll ever happen. But it's been, you know, it's 30 years now. We've mm. got um, this year, 30 years ago, yeah. we did the original one. And that's what I'm saying. It's a shock that would ever uh, be doing it again. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially at the time of release, it was it was not as hailed as a classic no, no, that no, it is no, now. No, I mean, it's, it is a classic now. No, it, was, it was one of many. Yeah. It was one of Blade Runner. It was one of, uh, there was a summer there that was full of big action pictures. Yeah. We didn't hadn't gotten into sequels quite yet. You know, yeah. That would be in the late '80s when that took off. I mean, what with was the it like on the, and all those things? I mean, know. you're on set with Jeff, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's 28 years later. And it's it was like, it was hilarious. You know, if you notice, I mean, I only got to do a short sequence with him yeah. in the Tron world, and that was the was the younger versions of us. Yes. And that was uh, that was kind of uncanny to watch that. Um, yeah. Uh, the motion capture stuff. Yeah. And then, um, and then Alan Bradley. I, I was there the least of any of the guys, but I was very happy to be there no matter what they were. I yeah. said I'd be in the movie. You just wanted me to walk down the hall. Yeah. So, well, it wouldn't be the same without you. I mean, huh? I wouldn't be. But that's, you know, it's a it's a different game. I mean, Jeff yeah. is a huge has been a huge you know, star for years, a movie star. Yeah. And uh, without him, that movie would have been made. Right. To have a bankable star. The original Tron was my chance to try to do a film career, and when it kind of came up and dudded, yeah. it, sort of, um, there was a lot of high expectations yeah. within the industry, yeah. and it answered some. Yeah. It did. I think more people now than will tell you that uh, they were influenced, especially in the effects world and exactly. design and, and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, it was so. It was so. Revolutionary that they actually don't know they refused to give you an award. Yeah, they said it. you cheated or something. It, it, we did. Uh, yeah. they said that uh, that's why we were ineligible for an Oscar nomination in animation is because they said we didn't animate. We used a computer. Yeah, which is such a laugh now. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's all animated. it's all animated. <laughs> we were dressing Park of Bing. Yeah. yeah, so. Um, but it's brought it to a whole new generation legacy. I mean, it's, yeah. it's amazing. And the but game to me, well. it's a surprise because yeah. it was something I walked away. I went right back to television. And said, yeah. It's going to be my. This isn't going to be my launching pad. Yeah. You know, um, and, uh, and that only happens to one or two actors. And then Jeff, I think one. I think I believe he did Star uh, Starman Star after Man. that, or one of the two movies after that. Yeah. And he got an Oscar nom. You know, he's had several. But yes, it was to answer your question when we were in Vancouver shooting, we went out to dinner and uh, it was kind of just like thirty years hadn't gone by. Wow. It was bizarre. It was. Um, calls me Tronsky, I call him Flinster, and, uh, you know, and uh, just the way we did back in 1980, <laughs> 81 when we were shooting. 
That was awesome. I was doing a Western when I got the script, and I, yeah. I looked at the script and I said, I don't understand any of this. I yeah. was playing Wyatt Earp at the time. Yeah, yeah. Young Wyatt Earp. And, uh, and I'm sitting out there, they got this script delivered to the hotel in Tucson, and uh, we're out on uh, location. I was literally sitting on a horse, <laughs> waiting for to be going into action and yeah. uh, reading this thing as fast as they could. And I'd, who knew that the Tron script traveled in a saddlebag? I put it in my That's awesome. bag, and I think I looked at it and I said, I have no idea what this is. I know. Is how how would you? Yeah. Because I, you know, I was one of the thousands that met on Star Wars. Yeah. And so, of course, every, look how big that got. And yeah. It was around that time. So everything was Star Wars. And yeah. uh, I thought, shit, I better, I better do this. Uh, they're interested in me, but it's not a, I don't know, I don't know, I don't remember if it was a firm offer yet. And I didn't get offered films. I didn't. Television was a different thing, but film for a feature film at Disney. So, uh, and I thought, I was a, my generation, I grew up in Disneyland on TV yeah. when I was a little boy yeah. with Davy Crockett and Zorro to, um, to uh, what have you, Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Um, I'm no different. We, in Australia, they used to have uh, the Sunday Sunday afternoon Disney that went for two hours. Uh, yes. And it was... It so was, we all did. It I was mean, awesome. It's it, yeah. I loved it. And, the idea. and then when I got back from location, that's when I um, they said, "Please, please come here." And it had been um, the casting uh, company and, and the lady casting lady that uh, uh, she was casting this movie, Pam Polifroni, her name was. I'll always be thankful for her because she's the one who recommended me. They took a look at me, and it was somebody that with Jeff who was and I admired Jeff Bridges because he had done some movies, some really gritty. Yep. Uh, from the last picture show, exactly. Peter Bogdanovich, to, to a number of uh, bad, bad company, and a whole bunch of really gritty like, Western type of things. And, he, and I had, uh, strangely enough, I had worked with his dad, Lloyd. Wow. Uh, on how the West was won. He had yeah. a four-story arc. Where he had a big oh, arc okay. story, and he kept he kept saying, you "Remind me of my son Jeff." Wow. And I said, "Really? You know, he's, I, Is that good or bad?" Yeah. He said, "No, it was good. <laughs> That's he's good. a great guy." He's, he's, they were a, they are a marvelous family. The oh, Bridges they seem family. it. Yeah, they seem they very just natural. Their father and mother are gone now, but yeah. um, they had a really great work ethic. And Jeff has a marvelous work ethic. He's very intense, like his father. His father. I mean, we'd be sitting out on this western street, and we'd already done run through. But if I even caught his eye, Lloyd, he'd go, he'd launch into our lines. I mean, he wanted to. <laughs> he's always trying to tweak it, and I love that because. He could have been just old Lloyd Bridges and just phoned it in. Yeah. And uh, he but wanted no. to constantly work on it. And was, Always gave 100%. Yeah, yeah. Well, can, we, can we bring something yeah. new and use this dialogue? Yeah. And um, Jeff, very much the same way, really painstaking in his um, uh, preparation. I've got it's always great to be around that. So. As someone who knows Jeff so well, have you ever seen, have you seen The Big Lebowski? Uh, yeah, that's the man. I mean, it, it, I call him the dude. D- yeah, so how much like the dude, the dude is he actually? I like the way Sam Elliott goes. Yeah. So he's pretty much the dude in real life. Well, that was, to me, they were, you know, they were, they knew exactly what they were doing because he knows them, they know him. That is awesome. <laughs> they, they, they were just, they were just portraying him. Yeah. Just taking the real Jeff yeah. and just tweaking it a little just further. Tweet, just, just a little enough. bit. Just I don't pretty. believe he walks around and has a white Russian <laughs> in his hand all the time, but the other... Yeah. Pretty close. We, we used to uh, you know, buy him a lot in, uh, back in the early 80s. <laughs> a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Um, he and he was. He was like, a, you know, he was always on the video game. Oh, yeah. I a, would be, 
the funny thing, here's a picture I want your audience to get. Okay. We're in those tights, the yep. helmet. Yep. And in between setups on this thing, sometimes it would be an hour, sometimes, but we had to be there because they would have to see lighting. You've got to remember, this process was a lot slower. Yeah. Because we had, uh, you know, anyway, uh, picture Jeff, we had this row of video arcade machines. Yeah. And Jeff had this one, it was one we mostly played, it was called uh, Battle Zone, maybe. Battle Zone. A tank. Which is a tank, yeah. You're in a tank. Yeah. Which wasn't unlike unlike uh, what he had to do his clue in, the, in that one. Remember in yeah. driving in It's a 3D vector graphics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, he took that machine, <laughs> truly did. I don't think the makers knew it could go that far, but he, wow. he took it score-wise. But his um, his man Friday, so to speak, he has a guy that works for him. He met on, um, uh, who stands in for him, and occasionally stunt double, things like that. Right. Cowboy named Lloyd Catlett that he met in Texas when they did the last picture show. Lloyd's in it, in fact, as I'm speaking about. But they've been friends for 35 years, whatever it's been, 40-some years. And um, Lloyd and I are, uh, we have a roping dummy set up on the uh, on the sound stage of a steer head with horns. Right. So Jeff's over there doing that way. He's got earphones, he's got some tape recorder in the, uh, strapped on a belt there. This is this is what we looked like yeah. off camera. Yeah. So in the tights. He's got yes. He's in got the a tights, walkman. In the thing, but he's got a thing with talking heads playing. Correct. And Lloyd and I are listening to Waylon Jennings and throwing and practicing roping with lariats. <laughs> <laughs> it was couldn't have been a stranger. I mean, it was different. There worlds. was no discs being thrown. <laughs> I I had to do that more. My I always I was always having to go off and learn uh, some more stuff with the, with the frisbee. Yeah. Which was good. They're cool sequences. I trained. Uh, I trained with uh, a guy named Sam Shot. Yeah. Kind of appropriate name, Sam Shot. Yeah. S C H O T T or something. Like that. <laughs> was he also? He was a, he was a. He was a champion. Um, frisbee competition frisbee thrower. Yeah. He could do. They make that thing do the most incredible things, and you know. And wow. he was teaching me all those overhands catches. Tuck a roll on the ground and throw yeah. and do an overhand, underhand, sidearm, all yeah. kinds of stuff. And uh, it was basically the guy that was throwing against me on the, in the film. Cool. So when those things were coming at me, other than the ones that they animated sort of loop to loop things, yeah. the ones that actually came at me and I got or dodged, those were real ones. Wow. And they just animated the, the, the figure. The effect. Just yeah. give it a shine effect. Yeah. But those were real ones being shot at. The one I had, that, that the one shot that they did keep in there that I'm the most proud of is I caught one over my head. That oh, went over uh, my head backwards. Yeah. Like, boom! And I caught yeah, that sucker from the back. And that's, that's, that's real. That's a real shot. Oh, yeah. That's a great it one. Came, whoop, boom! I caught it. And you'll notice I look at it because it's... Um, I always tell this story. And he, he goes, I, I wasn't angry at you. I said, yes, you were. You were up on a... On a it was Steve Lisberger threw that shot at me. <laughs> he wanted to get this reaction out of me. And he kept sort of berating me and saying that I... I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't caring enough. I was getting angry or angry. It's exactly what he wanted me to do. So it was coming across. And um, Sark says something. Programming pretty good. I'm also better than you. <laughs> and I meant that. <laughs> you can see on my face. I'm, I'm too freaking angry. It's unbelievable. What do you think of the change they made in Legacy to have the discs actually sharp and, and cut things and stuff? Oh, that's great. Yeah. I, I love the way in paying homage as well yep. to the older world. It just looks like 30-some years later the, exactly the right. grid has It looks gone like a natural further. evolution. Yeah. yeah. I, in real time, that's what's marvelous about it. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it, it really is a sequel in real time. Yeah. It's now where are they three years later? Yeah. Where what's happening? I also quite like the game Tron 2.0, which mm-hmm. you also voiced mm-hmm. in. Yes, I mean, it's, we actually get to see the world outside the boundaries of Legacy. Right. Right. I mean, it's it's uh, it was very. I, I like it. I like yeah. It. Yeah. One of the one of the few. We shot it in Vancouver, first uh, Yeah. Uh, we shot the entire thing there. We had. A, you know what's great about uh, Tron is that it's not all. People think that it's. Uh, I think they're under the impression that computer animation. Okay, what is that? It's not like it's all just been dropped in a toaster and it all comes up. Okay. Yeah. We had live sets. I mean, the, the uh, inside, uh, you know, Flynn's abode there inside right. the, um, the inside the grid world. Oh, inside the oh That's yes, sort of yes. very sort of Stanley Kubrick. The big and, windows. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the wide out. You yeah, can wide see out, out there, yeah. and he's out yeah. there in his Zen garden. There. That was cool. Love that. That's so Jeff. That That's you're you're really wrecking my Zen thing. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you really. What is he? What did he say? You're really ruining my Zen thing. Yeah. That's what he said. Something like that. Yeah. My Zen thing. That's so him. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we had massive sets built for him. Yeah. The, the, the Tron City was a huge city built out in this huge field in, yeah, outside in Burnaby. Uh, uh, real, it's a real streets. In, real streets. Uh, yeah. that, the Tron world. I mean, Tron, where, yeah, so, where so, there was so, a Tron Flins. Yeah, so he walked and in the Tron Flins. Yeah, I'd walk up. It looked like the size yeah. of an aircraft he carried. Yeah. It's quite wet. Was it raining for real, or did they make it look wet? Uh, well, there's a lot of that. That's, yeah. that's British Columbia, yeah. too. <laughs> it's very much like outside here, doing. Yeah. Working on Babylon 5, did they ever... Which is a brain series, by the way. Um, did they ever... Well, I was well-trained after Tron. Yeah. Walking in. Literally, that was, what, uh, two years? Alien Worlds. About two years later, to deal with CGI. Yeah. In, and that was going from... At that time, all this had started to happen. Yeah. And so I knew that uh, how to play off on a green screen or a blue screen. Yeah. Uh, it's not always green screen. And um, play a whole space battle with a piece of tape that's taped off camera. Right. That's that's what you got to be looking at. Well, you were there it for the start. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I was there from the ground. And back then it was a black screen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ours was totally black. Yeah. You've yeah. done your work. Yeah. It's, uh, it, was, uh, it was like a velveteen. It was almost not unlike something like this. Yeah. Believe me, sliding down it in those. Um, we had to slide, Yori and I had to slide down that so yeah. long embankment. Yeah. And we did. Yeah. <clears throat> Got a little warm by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So. Well, were they just like? I mean, were, they, were, were they, the leotards, were they actually, did they heat the set so you didn't freeze, or were they actually okay? Yeah, we were shooting during the summer that time. Oh, it was nice fine. to get outside. We were back. We were, the worst problem was sweating so much because right. uh, they had to. Takes every the fans all had to go on the AC and yeah. on these big sound stages. It's hard to cool yeah. those things. You have to have them going. You just can't go off and on and off and on. And we couldn't have that noise going. Yeah. Um, and you're quite and active. We, and we're rolling. And yeah. we were quite active. You know, all that running and stuff. We had many more things that actually showed up in the film. We had a number of scenes that didn't make it into the film. Right? Right. Love scene with uh, Tron and Yori and in uh, uh, Tron's apartment. Yep. And all this. Yep. Or yours was it mine? I can't remember. You know, it's a long time ago. Uh, but, They're uh, probably on the Blu-ray. I've got them here. <laughs> uh, and on Babylon 5, was probably the greatest four years. You know, I had had a great time on, on Scarecrow and Skin. That's what I was mostly known for. By the way. Yeah. And Scarecrow was the most popular show of all the things I did. And We're working I with an angel. I just talked to Kate, Kate uh, Jackson. Yeah. Day before I left here for here. Oh, I was going to ask you if you still talk to her. 
talked to each other a few times in the, in the yeah. intervening years, but um, she has an idea. She wants to she wants to do it again. Really? And have our kids be the uh, uh, the ages. a son and a daughter that are not related. Uh, one's adopted, and the other wasn't. And, uh, and the parents are always getting the parents who are now getting themselves in situations that uh, you know. Well, you heard it here first. So and so, then you have yeah. a real practical kid, the yeah. young guy and gal, yeah. or now the ones. Oh my God, mom and dad are in you know Bulgaria and some sort of problem right now with drug runners or something. You know what I'm saying? It'd be a good twist if the if the, the guy kids. if the guy was the nerd and the girl was the yes, action hero. Yes, and you could do it sort of like the way Chuck portrayed. Yeah, in Chuck. Chuck, that's right. Could you repeat in Chuck as well? Yeah. Chuck was uh, very much, I thought, Scarecrow and Mrs. King in the reverse for this day and age. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. The gal was yeah. the kick-ass spy, yeah. and he was the nut, because that's what she played. She played a nerdy played the, housewife, yeah. you know, who uh, relied on her intuitions and things like that. But, uh, but anyway, great. we'll see. When I get back, we're going to have a... Scarecrow and Mrs. King, the next generation. Well, we got something like, uh, <laughs> and she had, she had a title. She was all excited about it. And if we could go to Bob Daly and help us, we we're going to try to pitch it to CBS again and do it instead of, not a reunion movie. I yeah, want to no. That because those kind of are gone. Yeah. Uh, and have it, have a new title to it. Yeah. Well, uh, this has been absolutely brilliant. I thank you very much. Um, I you way too much. Well, I should probably, I should probably uh, stop monopolizing you and let someone else have to talk to you. I'm sure. Who are these people? We've got a crowd of people waiting. So, um, I really, really want, I really want to thank you. It's really been a pleasure. Um, so that was Mr. Bruce Boxleitner. What a legend! And uh, wow, he had some stories. That actually uh, was an edited version of uh, the interview, which went for uh, a bit longer than that. Um, uh, but eventually I just had to give him up because I had people waiting. Uh, next up we have the lovely Miss Cindy Morgan. Um, well, thank you very much. Uh, my name is David from New Culture Podcast. Good. Um, huh? And while we're on the air, you're passing out business cards? How um, day class say. Oh, uh, is that bad? I don't know. It's all right. I just <laughs> thought I'd say that for your listeners. I'm actually wearing the T-shirt as well. Really? Yep. It says NCP. Yeah, so New Culture Podcast. Cool. Yeah. It's a pretty cool little t-shirt. I was Actually, watching that show uh, Beauties and, and the Geeks last night. Yes. Uh, Aussie style. Yes. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Oh my is in oh my god. Oh, what, what do we come cool. to as a society? I, I'm, I'm, I just I just don't know what to say. <laughs> we, actually have, we actually have another show that called, uh, which is even worse, called The Farmer Wants a Wife. Oh my. And tell where me about where that. They, these ladies go off to the uh, country, country Australia and... Uh, you know these farmers sort of entertain the idea of and they're all like you know models and stuff so they're not going to live on a farm so it's, it's all kind of crazy and the farmers are unusually uh well they're you know strapping aussie aussie blokes nothing wrong with that yes, are they fun? i have no problem with that excellent thank you met a few aussies and haven't been disappointed yet we do have a reputation and i hope i'm part of that reputation absolutely <laughs> thank you um i'm the one with the accent that's what i'm trying to get through my head uh, i've got to remember that um uh, well, thank you very much for talking to us. Uh, of course. The time. It's, it's, Would you it's, like to know my name? Would your listeners like to know? I was there. I was going to introduce you. <laughs> <laughs> I am, of course, talking to Cindy Morgan, uh, who's... Uh, a smart aleck. <laughs> best known for her roles in Caddyshack and Tron. That's right. Um, and also Falcon Crest. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, something I was thinking about on the way here. Sure. Your character's name in Tron uh, is Laura and Yori. Mm-hmm. And if you combine those two names, you'd get Laurie, who is one of your characters in Falcon Crest. I never thought of it that way. How nerdy is that? When they do the Cindy Morgan board game, you have to make that one of the questions. (laughs) Um, So there's something I just, 
I really, I, I, there's something I have to get off my chest. Just okay, I, okay, okay, um, here we go. I had, uh, I'm not ashamed to admit that I You had, had a mad crush on a me, mad and crush. I, was, I was your change of life girl. I was your coming into manhood. Girl. You probably get that a lot, do you? More than you know. <laughs> Did I finish I just, the question? My, my wife actually gave me permission to say that. So no, I'll okay. let you actually finish it because I finished it for you. No, go no, ahead, no that's go fine. Ahead. That's, 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 that's you wanted to say that. Yeah, that you, I had a mad crash on you when I saw you in Caddyshack and Trump. And, and that's and as far that, as you were going to well, take now it? now that I see you in person, it continues on. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you. <laughs> I just hope my wife doesn't, <laughs> doesn't kill me when I get home. <laughs> I hear most very secure, lovely women saying, I don't care where my husband gets his appetite as long as he has his meals at home. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What do you think? Yeah, I know, I totally agree with that. Okay. <laughs> well, actually, no. <laughs> I hope she hasn't got her appetite from somewhere. That's see? See, but, see, 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 see how it feels? She's okay. probably watching uh, Farmer Once a Wife and uh, uh-huh. having thoughts. Anyway. Having thoughts. <laughs> very much the understatement the of the year, having <laughs> thoughts. I um, love that. So, uh, your first screen role was in Caddyshack. Yes. Um, so, what was... Did you have like a starstruck moment when you actually no, got to meet? No, couldn't afford that. Couldn't afford that. It was a fight from the beginning up, from the moment I set foot on that set. Right. So as soon as I knew I had that job, that I, could, I couldn't believe I had that job. Yeah. For, I, from 12 years of Catholic school to that character, I was fixed up with cousins for both of my proms. Right. I don't know what you have here in Australia, but as you graduate from high school, there's junior prom and senior prom, yes. where the boy is supposed to ask. No boy asked me out. I was in the... Um, I find that very hard to believe. The, I was in the age group. I have thick yeah. glasses, and I was the one of the studious girl. I was one of the geeks that yeah. you right. and I didn't date all through high school and I was, I was fixed up with Daniela Carzoli's cousin for both <laughs> of my proms because I had to go with somebody so uh, I came out of my shell in college yeah, yeah. you actually changed um, your college absolutely you, just, you walked into the room and thought oh my god there's only like four girls in this room I, that's here. you do your reading I, yeah. well, I was accepted to the Illinois Institute of Technology yeah. which is a wonderful school for mechanical engineering what's something I wanted to do because my father had never fulfilled that dream of his yeah. I walked into the open house four girls you're right yeah. all guys and made a hard left and went to Northern Illinois University got rid of my stammer pretty quick yeah. because I, I was put into a speech class and I was a terrible speaker but yeah. a good writer a good writer, yep. Oh, and that got me into broadcasting, and I never shut up since. Yep. So what made Much you to Bruce's chagrin. <laughs> what made you decide to go from broadcasting to acting? Uh, because I was doing Morning Drive in Chicago, which was the second largest market in the U.S., in Huge, the States yeah. at the time, yeah. and my own sound engineer, and I was making $135 a week working for the Chess Checker Record people. Wow. If you've seen the movie Cadillac Records, you'll yes. know who these guys are. Yes. And uh, that's, that's as far as, nobody let me go on camera. I said, but I did the weather, like, badly in Rockford, Illinois, and in Milwaukee. I can do it here. Yeah. No, no, no. I said, fine. I'm going to L.A. They said, you'll never work. And I was really cocky in my 20s. I said, well, I'll, I'll have a billboard on Sunset in a year. I had one in eight months. Wow. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> and that was Cat Shack. And, yeah. and when I found out I got the job, I just stopped watching Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I didn't want to be intimidated. I didn't want to know who these people were. I, and... Just I had worked so much, you know, when you're in broadcasting, it was all brand new to me, so I was working around the clock pretty much. I just didn't have enough an, an attachment to those people, who those people were, so I just blocked. That probably worked. It, it worked yeah, much yeah. better because then worked. I could speak to them straight on as, as myself. I don't know how I'd react if I actually had Bill Murray in front of me. <laughs> I didn't think of him as Bill. I thought yeah. of him as this, this goofy Chicago guy who had all kinds of wonderful 
wonderful facets to his personality, and I yeah. really enjoyed Bill a lot. He's also a bit of a prankster, did he play? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, he was. Great guy. I really had a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, of course, you moved on to Trump. That was sort of a surprise, the Disney film after, after Caddyshack, but yeah, uh, and that again was a fun role. I mean, getting to go into work in the morning. It was also a case of Caddyshack was at least 40% improvised, so nobody yeah. read the script. You never knew what you were going to shot that, shoot that day or why. Did you get to improvise at all? I had to, to stay in the scene, because, well, here's an example. I was getting my makeup touched up. During the love scenes with Chevy Chase, it was hot. It was Florida. It was it was like ninety degrees, which is I don't know how that translates into Celsius, but hot and it's humid hot. and 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 then there's that giant Klieg lights in the house, so it's about take it up about ten or twenty degrees. And after three days of this making love, we were ready to kill each other. And I was getting my makeup touched up because it was sweating right off my face. And Harold Ramis, the director, says, "Come over here and sit down." I said, "Now what?" He goes, "Just sit down." And I sat down. And he says. Tell Chevy to sing you a love song. I said, why? He just said, just say it, just say it. I said, if this will shut you guys up and I don't have to hear it again, fine. Yeah. So I'm looking at, I've got this big water gum in my mouth and I go look at him. I'm like, okay, sing me a love song. And I look at him and he starts, launches into, I was born to love you. Cool. Snorts the salt, throws a tequila. I was born to love you. And I look out of the corner of my right eye and the damn camera light's on. Oh, These guys are filming this. Filming. There was no script there was no rehearsal we didn't even talk about this ahead of time did i improvise oh yeah (laughs) did i want to stay in the scene yes so so yeah uh i saw it was on so that was tequila in front of me i took a shot it was horrible wow and i had a wad of gum in my mouth and i just just the improvisation i did was good because all i had to do was watch him you can see by my eyes just taking in all of this (laughs) what he's doing crazy just reacting to him audience point of view was all i had to do just just sit there what what an introduction to film world just watching him going oh my god i'm in i'm in comedy hell what what is this (laughs) and 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 there's chevy chase in it too you know and he's the devil and i blew a wad of gum in his mouth and i don't uh, had a wad of gum in my mouth and i blew a bubble in his face and that was it he's he's brilliant um yes he is brilliant so you went from that sort of sort of that sort of Baptism of Fire yes. into Tron, which we had a dual, highly structured dual role. Yes, dual role, highly yeah. structured on the Disney set. Yeah, they don't, there's no improvisation Costumes. in a Disney movie. Oh, no. <laughs> None, zero. But, again, it didn't make a damn bit of sense to me anyway, because yeah. I'm reading the script going, you know, Stephen Lewisberger, I said, I, I don't understand this, and if I don't understand this, the audience isn't going to understand this, because yeah. this was very much pre, this was shot in 19... 19- 80, 81, and this was pre-personal computer. Black screen. You know, and there was nothing on the set, just a very large black warehouse, nothing there, and Bruce and I would run from here to here, or here to there, and just say a line. And One of the scenes I quite like the most is where I, where I think, it was, wow, this actually looks quite convincing, is the sail ship. Oh. The solar sailor. That was... That, you really look like you are well, operating me, a solar sailor. That was, a, that was when I finally had an argument with Stephen, and I said, now, he said, okay, what, I said, what do we do today? And he said, okay, Mor- we, Morgan, uh, Jeff, Bridges, uh, you and Bruce are on the solar sailor. You're crossing the game, so you go. <laughs> and yeah, I looked at him, and I said, <laughs> I, w- raised my, I said, I just got to ask, yeah. what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. There's no ship. There's no, no solar sailor. There's no game sea. There's nothing here. There, he goes, no, no, no. See that black felt riser over there? You, you just hop up on that, you and Bruce. Yeah. I said, yeah. And he goes, you see that table over there? I said, yeah, it's a banquet table covered in black felt. What do you want me to do with this? He says, you're flying the ship with that. I said, Stephen, 
there's nothing here. There's really nothing here. He said, it doesn't matter. He said, the, the, just the Disney artists will put in under your hands anything you see. So in my mind's eye, I had to see something. You cannot lie to the audience. You can't. They'll get you. In my mind, I saw a soundboard. And somehow this soundboard was driving whatever the heck this riser was forward. But in my mind, I was running that soundboard. Okay. But there was a line that I didn't make a commitment to. And that was a line that I just said, Stephen, this is really stupid. I can't say this. You don't tell the director a line is really stupid when the director is also the writer. Yeah. (laughs) Because you're not going to win that argument. Right. And the line, to this day, the audience laughs. And to this day, now it's my favorite line in in, in this whole film because you can't fool the audience. It's, oh, Tron, I knew there wasn't a circuit built that could hold you. You can hear hear me going, this is the stupidest line I've ever had to say. You can hear me choking (laughs) the words out. And and the audience laughs because they they can see it's painful. And I didn't make a firm commitment to that line, let's say. But it seems playful. Oh, I tried, but I wasn't making a commitment. I really wasn't. (laughs) Cool. Um, So what was it like working with, uh, well, I've already seen what it was like working with Bruce. Oh, yeah. You guys obviously work very well together. Uh, Also in uh, Bringing Back Alive. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And uh, the interactions that I've just witnessed and will cherish forever just here. It's endless. (laughs) It's like like the gods have cursed me for (laughs) eternity. But uh, what also about uh, Jeff Bridges? Jeff was great to work with. So, I mean, that, you know, going, looking forward to working in the morning. I mean, just we didn't have as abrasive a relationship as we do now. Bruce and I, it was just always fun to go to work, you know. When I was on Tron, Bruce was more of a puppy dog. Bruce was following me everywhere. But now, when we got to bring him back alive, he got his producer thoughts. Oh, he just can't hear. He's pretending. No, he- Maybe he's just getting old and he can't hear me. He's not just—he's just not biting, but he will later. He's, don't don't worry. I'll get him to bite. He's, in, he's, do, he's into what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, but I can break that train of thought. That train gets derailed really easily. So, uh, so you've heard it here first. He used to follow you around on set like a puppy. Like a puppy. Make sure you ask him that question. Oh, I've already I've already spoken to him. Oh, you can again. get one more. I'll get one oh, more. do you want a good sound bite? All right, okay. A really good sound bite. Please, please. Turn, ask him that question. Ask him that same question. Yeah. I will definitely do that. I'll try and grab him all the way through. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll get you an interesting <laughs> reaction. Yeah, on, on the set of Tron, Bruce was yeah. to follow me around like a little puppy. Well, how could you not in that uh, leotard and... Well, that was combo. the point, apparently. I See, I wasn't as aware. I was just aware I was wearing this thing and I couldn't have lunch. That's That was what was on my mind. Yeah. Apparently, doing the script wasn't on everyone else's mind. Yeah. And you saw, and you, change, you have like that skull, oh, skull cap. Yeah, that thing was glued it to my head. It must have been painful. It was painful because it was glued to my head. Yeah. It was chamois cloth which was skin that was wired and it was glued to my skin and for weeks after weeks the wardrobe department had to yank on it to cover my hair and they're yanking on it and after about three weeks it blistered and then they're gluing it to the blisters blisters. and yanking on the blisters and finally one day I said that's it I'm not wearing this damn thing again I grabbed a hockey helmet and I said I'm wearing this until my face heals up as it just happens I was on the solar sailor yeah it kind of works. It kind of makes sense, yeah. Uh, but it is. It be, looks better, better too. Better it looks, yeah. it looks much better. I mean, you've got to love those helmets. I mean, they're crazy. Well, the helmets yeah. look better than that. Yeah. Who looks good in a skull cap? It's crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. That was that was not fun. When no. you got Cindy Morgan, you don't put her in a skull Thank cap. You. <laughs> <laughs> Thank just, you. It's just bizarre. Yeah. But those uh, those jumpsuits are hilarious. Oh, jeez. They're great. You stuff. wear them if you like them so much. <laughs> I, I, would, I don't think I'd be able to pull it off. Oh, it's just hell. I, 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 I definitely just... get the definition of nerd. <laughs> um, so, it, of course, now it's considered a classic, but at the time it had a bit of a cool reception. It did have really, a cool reception. Really I mean, it, it, in the beginning, when I did the press junket, uh, and I did it, I, I was 
Jeff and Bruce were unavailable, so I did it by myself. I was explaining to everyone. It was kind of okay received. What was good was the the newness of it. It got to my magazine, and it got me on The Tonight Show, and that was the, the, the new technology. And it got, there were a lot of different theories about why it didn't do as well as it should have. But what was wonderful is that it held so few films hold on over time. Yeah. You know, you know what gets me is how films are being churned out so quickly right now, yeah. and and it's almost like McDonald's. They're McMovies, and they just get churned and churned and churned. Totally and, churned. and and the, the the audience had time to fall in love with Tron. It had yeah. some of the people who fell in love with it immediately kept the love for it. They reintroduced it to other folks and. By Disney re-releasing it with Legacy, I didn't, as, as I said, Bruce and I didn't get paid for Legacy, mm. uh, for Tron getting re-released, because we're not paid. Our DVDs and Blu-rays weren't even known yet, mm. so it wasn't included. But they created a nice global market for us. Oh. So I'm here because of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and the nice, the silver lining to the dark cloud about not being included is the folks who go to the movies, the ones who buy the tickets. Yeah were outraged a lot of them were yeah. not all but many were offended took it personally that yeah. I, I wasn't included and myself included and they formed websites yeah. and started blogging and organized and especially considering you do that mock interview with yes Bruce in character yes and it left the, it left the, the audience day. going where's the rest and of it you're not, yeah, then you're not in the film it's, it's like, like getting what? set like up for gra- a great payoff that just doesn't happen yeah and 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 the audience is wait going, but 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 what are you doing to us? Where'd you leave us? Yeah. So because of that, they took it pretty personally. And um, Yori Lives became a very powerful website on Facebook. Yeah. And Yori Lives is uh, just became its own entity. And it it does sort of I'm was part of the formation of it. But I had two rules always. Yeah. And 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 I made people listen to these rules. And I, I had my reasons. Um, always respect Disney. Yes. Because Disney is many, many, many people. Yes. And uh, and it and no whining. It's bad form. Fair enough. Everyone takes a hit. Mm-hmm. Everyone takes a hard shot. I think people appreciate grace under fire. Yeah. I think it's very important to say, okay, the most I've said is, sure, it hurt my feelings, but look at the wonderful things that have come out of that. You get a better result with honey than you do with vinegar. And, and look at the people who yeah. stood up for me. Yeah. It's much better manners to have other people speak for you. Yeah. When other people are, are, are saying, and, and the press has picked it up. Exactly. Beca- and and, and from, now, from then it, it, it took on a life of its own. And because of that, I'm sitting here today. Yeah. And are you going to be in Tron 3 then? I think you need to ask Disney that. But if somebody really wants to know, yeah. I do know what the producers have told me. So listen to me very carefully. Okay. The producers have told me that they have web crawlers that go out every night and they get a report on their desk every morning. So if someone wants to see me in the next Tron, log away. Give your demographics, say man, woman, 1920, 30, 40, 50, 60. Just tell them them who you are and just speak from the heart. I don't tell anybody what to say. Okay, guys, you've got it. Uh, Get on there. Get on the message boards. Get on the blogs, make your voice known, get to, get Cindy into, the, into Tron 3, which has been greenlit, so we know it's coming. It's coming then. So then, I mean, let me tell you, because of the people who got on the blogs, that's how I got to Melbourne. I was almost, the producers were kind enough here at Armageddon Expo to say, listen to the folks who are coming in saying, we, they said, we want Cindy. They said, yeah. okay, we were already booked solid, but okay. That's that's due to the kindness of the of the of the folks who put Armageddon and the Expo together. That's awesome. And uh, the bottom line is where to put me in the story. 
It's science fiction. Right. Anything is possible. Get out there, guys, do it. Um, I really hope you are in Tron 3. It'll be cool. Well, just say, just again, speak from the heart because yeah. the heart doesn't lie yeah. and the heart is filled with passion. Yeah. And that try, kind of passion uh, translates. They should try and get you into um, the Tron cartoon that's happening at the moment. The Tron Uprising would be a great idea. Uh, I do have a background with voiceover. It might yeah. work out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to. I'm scared to pronounce the name, but you did a you did a voice for a character in Tron 2.0. Mathria. Mathria. Right, okay. right, right. And, and that I was told was because I wasn't included, and some of the folks who loved it uh, had a few things to say. Yeah, and Mathria could quite easily be a descendant of Yori. Mathria could be that, or Yori could still be the ghost in the machine. Now, if Laura knew she had a son, and if Laura knew that the chances were she could die, yeah. Laura would have put something in the machine to take care of him. Exactly right. Nice. And Laura could easily know she could come in and out of that computer because she watched Flynn do it. Yeah. Oh, you got it all worked out. That's awesome. Yeah. I've heard a lot. You want to know how many theories I've heard in the last five years? Make, many, many, many. Make it happen, Disney. I'm just giving please. you the best of the cream of the crop. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It works. Can you tell me a bit about working with Bruce on Bring Him Back Alive? Because oh yes, it's a cool series. I actually recently just saw it. Uh, a high production on value on that series. Yeah. Was one. I mean, I would look at the call sheet the next day to see what kind of animals we were working with the next day, and Crazy. we got. I was able to interact offset with all of them. I mean, it just it was it was. Although I must tell you, I don't think a series like that is quite practical because these are wild animals, and except for the baby animals who aren't in full yeah. adult mode. Yeah. These are not toys. No. These, these, the, the, I don't, I don't think animals should be declawed or sedated. I mean, I'm, I, I think people would love to see them, but I think seeing them, them, and I think we've got enough camera work now. We can see them in their own environment. Bringing them to a set is very, very hard on them. Yep. And 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 I, I got to see up close, you know, how much it meant and how much danger. You know, we were. I was working with a mountain lion once who could have taken my arm off at the shoulder and. I wouldn't have blamed. I would have felt bad about it, but it could have happened. And yeah. I only got injured by one animal, one female elephant. Actually, was pretty in, in a very uh, just disciplining, letting me know she's boss. Yeah. I was standing next to her one day, not thinking, and she took her trunk and knocked me in the, across the face so hard she she knocked my contact lenses out of my eyes. Wow. And um, I, the trainer said she's just kind of letting you know. In a way, it's sort of a compliment. She's just letting you know that she's the big girl on the block and she's the boss. Right. That's crazy. I mean, there was a lot of physical, like, quite a physical bit of physical work. work quite a bit show. of yes, and and we and we did so. The stunt people were awesome, amazing, wonderful on that show. But so much we did ourselves. Yeah. That you know, honestly, I have the greatest respect for the stunt people because they should be doing the, their job. Yeah. They're, they're trained. And they take the hit for us, and then they turn their face away from camera, and then we turn into camera as if we've been there all the time. You quite, know, quite God bless bit, them. Quite a bit different to your other TV show, Falcon Crest. Where I was slapping everybody. I slapped three people, as I recall. Jane Wyman, she was, what a lady. She's awesome. She was awesome. There was a little bit of, it was a little like a high school. We had read-throughs before, large cast, before every every time we'd do a show. And I remember that uh, my character came in, and it was only supposed to be four shows, and every week the character got better and better and better. And one day, the cast sat down for a read and made sure there was no chair for me. Where are we? High school. So, no, no, um, so well, Jane Wyman saw me standing there, just looking for what to do, and she said, she stood up and said, "I'll get Cindy a chair." Wow! And she moved very slowly. She took her time. Yeah. The whole cast waited. The whole cast and all the producers, until she took her time, walked and got a chair, brought it back, and said, "Okay, let's begin." 
Whoa. That's awesome. So I had a scene where I had to slap her. Yeah. And I walked in, and, I, and, and of course, I wasn't little, it was a stunt. I wasn't going to go anywhere near her. But I came in, you know, pretty mouthy, and I let her have it. And I said, Miss Wyman, um, I need to apologize in advance for what I'm about to do. And she goes, oh, honey, just do your job. Wow. And I said, okay. See you straight. Who keeps a lady standing? What's that about? Everybody takes you, takes you away your seat. Uh, it was high school. It was, it was whatever it was. Sorry. It, it was whatever it was. That's just crazy. And you actually played two different characters in Falcon Crest in, in the time on yes, soap opera funny, tradition. The thing was that nobody really picked up on it, and I didn't tell them that. Yeah. I was on the show uh, a few years earlier. I played... Uh, Lori. Yes, and I was... Whose love interest was I? So, Lorenzo Lamas. Oh, Lorenzo Lamas. I was Lorenzo Lamas's love interest right. in that one, and I was on for a few episodes. And then uh, about a couple years later, new set of producers, I get called in, I get cast, and I'm not telling these guys I was yeah. on the show before. It's like five I, seasons I can, later. Yeah, I, I just kept my mouth <laughs> shut, and I just went to work, and about three or four shows in, one of the crew comes up to me and goes, you were on the show before? I said, no, no, I wasn't. <laughs> he goes, yeah, you were. And I said, no, that wasn't me. He goes, you were on the show before. We know you were. I said, okay, well, I guess I'm in it, I'm in it now, so go ahead. <laughs> That's but, awesome. But it was fun. It was fun. Nobody would have cared. It happens all the time. Nobody cared. They kind of liked it in a way. It was, it was kind of fun. It's had days of and they made me a redhead because uh, my, the word came down from up above that I looked too much like one of the other actresses, so my hair was red. Oh. Why didn't they make her dye her hair red? Many thoughts went through my mind that day, but uh, many of them a, were not vocalized. It's a family podcast. Yes, yes. <laughs> we won't have to go too far. Yes. If there was, if you were offered another soap opera role, would you? Oh, probably. Would you jump on it? Yes, yeah, sure. Why hold up? Well, I mean, you're kind of busy at the moment writing your book. That's got to uh, finish. That's, that, I've got, I've yeah. got the hardware with me, as a matter of fact. Really? Yeah. So you, you've got it there. I am not leaving that for a second. No. <laughs> so it's from Catholic school to Caddyshack. Yes. Um, is is there any reason why it wasn't called from Catholic school to a computer world and include Tron? Because I had 1,700 behind-the-scenes images from Caddyshack, uh, and the first inception is going to be a coffee table book. Right. Here. The second book will be text-driven and include Tron. Include Tron. Yes, but it's a catchy title. Do you want to keep it? Yeah. You happen to use it. The title I want to use is Everyone I Know is Nuts, the Cindy Morgan story, but my editor says no. <laughs> so it will remain a chapter title. Yeah, somebody will, somebody yeah. will get offended. They won't be able to help themselves. It's true, though, isn't so, it? Uh, well, that, well yeah. yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Except our audience, of course, who are of course. all lovely. Yes. Uh, so you, are you, is that close to finishing? Or? 80% time. 80%? Yeah. Looking forward to it. I was on your website uh, last night, mm-hmm. and uh, this is great. Uh, photo gallery. Oh, great. Yeah. They'll be in there. Well, where do you see these? The behind-the-scenes images. The behind the these are stuff. amazing. That'd be awesome. That is really cool. Do you have a favorite fan moment? Yes. Yes. A man came up to me with a picture from Caddyshack and said, will you sign this to my father, my son, and myself? Wow. That's really cool. I don't Three generations know. of men who all loved you. That's a moment, but there's another thing that means a lot to me. I got an email from a, a colonel who apparently showed Caddyshack to his men when he was overseas on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And he said very eloquently how important a film like that was to him. He said, when you go into that dark place where there's no hope, it's nice to have this release and know there's someone like you waiting back home. Wow. That is awesome. I met a lot of firefighters who also watched the movie. Yeah. A few other folks with some interesting jobs that I can't really say, but... uh, it's it between Caddyshack and Tron. It's it's astonishing. Yeah. I, I I'm always quite humble. Bruce is trying to horn in on my interview. What was? Weren't you going to ask him a question? Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, oh. Bruce, Bruce. Bruce. Uh, there, we have one last question to tag at the end of this interview. Do you have a moment, or are you very busy? Did he go He's getting a drink. Come on over, dear. 
Oh, well, just just one question, please. Do you want to turn the mic toward him? Go ahead. He has one question for you. Is it true that on the set of Tron you used to follow Cindy around like a puppy? <laughs> You've just ruined my relationship with Bruce Boxleiter. He just walked away. He's never going to talk to me again. <laughs> he just turned on his heel and walked away. Okay, no, wait, no. But Bruce can't stay quiet. He's he's thinking now. This is his thinking moment. We took, we kind of shanghaied him. We took him by surprise. Now wait. Now just, just give him a minute. He'll think it over. He'll come back with a comeback. It'll, oh, it'll be back. At, don't worry. He's never going to talk to me again. Oh, he will. He'll blame it on me. Don't worry. But blame me. I'm not worried. No, please blame me. It'll give us something to talk about during the panel. Oh, uh, jeez. Um, Cindy, it's been an absolute pleasure talking thank to you. Thank you. I very much appreciate it. And uh, thank you for <laughs> making, making Bruce so uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, he'll be back. Trust me. He, he just needs a moment. <laughs> And that was Miss Cindy Morgan. Um, what can I say? Just an absolute delight, and uh, I've really enjoyed our chat. And uh, I, I made a special effort to say, say hello when she was actually at the ex- expo as well. And uh, she's she was really gracious uh, and uh, with, it wants me to send uh, a link to the show. So I'll definitely be doing that uh, once it's uploaded. Um, thank you very much for your time, Cindy. Next up. Mr. Charles Martinet, the voice of Mario and the entire Mario family for the last uh, 22 years. Um, he was really amazing to talk to, and uh, I'm sure you'll agree once you listen to the interview. My name in French is Charles-André Martinet, and my name in Australian is Charles-André Martinet. <laughs> that was brilliant. Not bad, huh? That was pretty I, good. I've been practicing. <laughs> Well, as you just heard, I'm, I'm here with Charles Martinet, <laughs> uh, the voice of Mario for 20-something years. Yeah, 20 fantastic years. That's 22, a, I believe, yeah. That's very, very impressive. Oh, what a profound honor and a joy. You know, I've had such a great time, and, and the games keep getting better. The platforms keep getting better. Every, it, everything about the games, it just keeps getting better. I was just at EV Expo, and, and here we are now at Armageddon Expo. Absolutely thrilled to be here. At EV Expo, we were... Mario fans, uh, people were able to play the Wii U for the first time in Australia, and they loved it, and that made me so happy. And we also had, you know, a a bunch of great games, including my personal favorite, Super Mario Bros. U. And uh, that was just absolutely thrilled to to play that game and to play with people, you know, because the, the the new pad has, has creates all kinds of new dimensions to the game, and you know, it's just just great fun. And you actually, so you actually play the games themselves as yeah. well. So you played every one as, as they've come out. You bet I do. That is awesome. Yeah. Oh, the first time I saw Galaxy, uh, I was just goosebumps yeah. everywhere, you know. And of course, I still play it. You know, yeah. upside down when I was upside. Uh, new Super Mario Bros. Wii, I just went crazy. I love that game. And, and New Super Mario Bros. U, just absolutely uh, fantastic, spectacular. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Great game. And do you, so, so do you. Do you get some sort of weird twinge, like when you're playing and hearing when you hearing your voice on screen while you're playing? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I concentrate so hard because I'm not very good. You know, when you're <laughs> playing with four people who are usually three people are extremely good and one is not, and I know which one that is. <laughs> you know, it's it's I, I focus so hard and then I I make the sounds as I'm playing, which I'm you know I'm sort of not aware that I'm doing. I'm like woo yeah woo ah yeah wow you know. 
That's awesome. <laughs> well, so it's a cool. little bit silly, I think. But I'm you know, people... I don't have my Game Boy with me right now. Now we can play right now. I go. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, new Super Mario Bros. U. It, it's just so much fun. I, I love that game. <laughs> so when you do the actual uh, recordings for the games, do you have uh, the other voice actors with you? Or do you say so you're, so you're alone in the booth? Or do they, do it's a solo group? affair. I, yeah. I'm, uh, I, I fly up uh, to, to Seattle or to Japan, and, and it's um, just me in the booth. Mm. And uh, do I do my parts of Mario, Wario, Luigi, Waluigi, Baby Mario, and Baby Luigi. Or maybe I should say, Mario, Mamma Mia, Wario, Ever Rotten Day. I'm going to win. Luigi, why you forget about me? Luigi to Mario. I'm a Kakakami. Baby Luigi, oh. And baby Mario, let's go. Wahoo. So we do each one of those. Awesome. <laughs> we do them in you know sort of in sequence with Wario the last because Wario is the hardest on the on the voice you know and uh, have such a great time I get scripts and we see videos and all, and things and we eat sushi or some wonderful lunch and then we uh, we record and then improvise and and go through the files to find things that are very very you know on the money you know or you know in the right place so and and that's the whole process is fantastic and actually when i play the games if i'm just playing me and i hear something i you know i remember what time of day it was what takes those were Ooh. and that and that selection process and i have no idea why you know i guess i'm an idiot savant in that way <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um how did you actually kind of fall into? How did you get this this job? I mean, it's, it's the dream job. I mean, you're the voice of a generation, and you get to play the games. It's just it's just amazing. Yeah, I was the luckiest guy in the world. A friend of mine called me up and said, "There's an audition for an, a, a you know a trade show in Las Vegas. You should go." And I said, "There is absolutely no way I'm going to go to an audition uninvited. I do not crash auditions. I'm a professional. <laughs> What's the address?" <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know why, but I went and I walked in the door. The camera was walking out the door with the producer. I said, hi, can I please read this? And he, he looked at his watch and went, oh, all right, all right. Come on in. We'll set the camera up. Look, you're an Italian plumber from Brooklyn, right? So make up a voice. You're in the video game. So make up a video game, you know, and you start talking you're going to have these things glued to your face on the job. So when you're talking, that will, you know, that should make the cartoon character do the same thing in real time. Cool. And, you know, yes, yeah, so you'll say, hello, how you doing? He'll say, hello, how you doing? You know, and you can float them around the screen. And we have no idea if this is going to work or not. So if right. it doesn't work, you still got to talk to people all day. Start talking, make up a voice, make up a video game. Whenever you stop talking, that's your audition. So you just come up with something. And I'm sitting there thinking, Italian plumber from Brooklyn, come on. Hey, how you doing? Don't bother me, all right? Get out of here. You know? And I thought, no, no, I like, you know, if it's kids and it's, I don't want to be gruff and mean. I, I'm, my philosophy is always, you know, let the comedy come inwards, not go, not shove outward at people. Did they show you a picture at least? Nope. Didn't well, okay. I had no, right. I never heard of Mario. I had no idea who Mario was. Yeah. And, and, you know, and sure enough, I, you know, I'm sitting there thinking about what voice and, you know, I don't know anything about video games. There are no heroes in video 
video games. You you know, you just have like things shooting at you and you yeah. shoot at things and rocks come and things go whacka 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 and you go you know. Yeah. I mean I, I I know these. You know, I thought, well I'll just I'll just make stuff up and I'm sitting there thinking about what to do. All of a sudden I hear action and I and I turn to the camera in the voice that you hear today. Hello, it's a Mario. Hokey dokey, let's make a pizza pie together. You go get some sausage. I'm gonna get some spaghetti. We're gonna put the spaghetti and the sausage in your pizza. Hokey dokey, then I chase you with the pizza. If I catch you the pizza, you gotta eat the pizza. Then you gotta make a pizza chasing me with the pizza. And I just I just kept going and going and going, lasagna and, you know, tortellini and spaghetti meatballs running up and down and falling down the, the hills and eating them. And I don't know what I said, but I talked until the tape ran out because I heard, stop it, cut, cut, stop talking, stop, there's no more tape, thank you very much, we'll be in touch, you know, and of course, for an actor, we'll be in touch means yeah, yeah. there's the yeah, door, there's the door. <laughs> yeah, adios, amigo, you know, and I, I, I don't know why, I was happy as can be, I just had so much fun doing the character, yeah. and I I went to the beach, watched the sunset. He got on the phone, calls up Nintendo. I found our, our Mario. I got him. And he Great. only sent my tape up there. So That's I awesome. had no idea who the character was. I had no idea where it was going to go. And 22 years later, it just gets better and better and better and better. You know, And I think it's such a tribute to, to Mr. Miyamoto and his creative teams in America and Japan and all over the world. Nintendo people love playing video games. Yeah. They love developing video games. They love doing things in video yeah. games. And so that incredible passion is what keeps the keeps the uh, the thread alive. Yeah. It keeps It's not just a job for them. It's, oh it's, gosh, no. no. Oh gosh, no. I've never met anybody at Nintendo in 22 years for whom oh I'm just doing a job. Yeah everyone there if you weren't a great gamer when you got there you're a gamer once you're there because the enthusiasm the joy the fun is so vibrant and alive I was just yesterday at the Nintendo uh, Australia office uh, in Melbourne here and just meeting everybody was so fun you know I, I, they love the games. They love doing their jobs. From from the the person that is marketing and PR and and selling or and shipping and boxing and you know it's like every one of them has a passion and joy for it. You know, which it, it's such an honor to me to be able to uh, be out in the public representing people that are so wonderful. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and now you're here for Armageddon. Yeah, it's, Armageddon. It's my first time, and I, here I am in Melbourne, and we're going to Auckland. Yeah. Very excited about that, because I think, you know, one of the most exciting things I ever do is meet fans of Mario, because, uh, you know, they're so nice and so kind. And so in, in 22 years, I've never met a Mario fan that hasn't been an absolute wonderful human being. Yeah. Every single one of them. It's a very different gamer, I think, the, the people that play the Nintendo-style games like uh, Mario and stuff like that who play, you know, the, the violent sort of Call of Duty Halo <laughs> And I'm not disparaging. I mean, I'm a Call of Duty and Halo fan yeah, as well. Yeah. But it's just, you just, you just get a sort of a different sort of mindset, I think. It's yeah. Just, it's just well, you know, we all have aspects of everybody in us. You know, yeah. there's, a, there's a Call of Duty part of me and a Halo part of me too, <laughs> you know. I, 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 I just cannot picture you. I'm just, I'm just sitting, sitting across from you now. I just cannot picture you sort of playing Halo, swearing at the screen. Yeah. Resident Evil. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Free it. <laughs> no, but you know, I enjoy 
enjoy those games too. It's just for me, my heart's always with Mario. I just, yeah. the, you know, I, I, I want to be more like Mario, full of joy and happiness and adventure, facing adversity with a let's go, <laughs> sort of thing. You know, the, the characters had profound effect on me. I, yeah, I'm grateful for every minute of it. Okay, this is, this is a question I've got to get off my chest. Sure. As Mario, yeah. what's the deal with Princess Peach? Why is she always getting kidnapped? Oh. Oh, you know, I don't know, but I can tell you one thing. Ah, the Princess Peach, she make my heart go bada bing, bada boom, bada ba. She's so beautiful. She is pretty. <laughs> she is very beautiful. She like a color pink too. She got the pink hat, the pink tiara, pink, pink everything, pink dress. She's so beautiful. She even like a pink diamond. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> Who wouldn't? Yeah. This is, this is brilliant stuff. One time she made me a cake. Ah, she gave me a smoochy smoochy and little hearts came bursting out of me. <laughs> You're killing me. Uh, so if you don't, so I mean, obviously Mario, if you don't, and uh, the Mario family, but have you done any other sort of voice work as well? You know, yes, I, I've done a, a lot of other video games, probably about a couple hundred other video games, just in, you know, I did uh, Lord of the Rings series, three of those games, the, the Scottish man with the axe and, and the leading prince and, and, and the king of the dead. You know, that was uh, Parthenax in, in, in uh, Skyrim was a one I did last year. Lots of oh, fun. Cool. Uh, Tiger Woods, PGA Golf, Men in Black, you know, uh, Jet Set Radio Future. Things, you know, from the way past. Uh, the first time I ever did a voice in a, in a video game, I believe, was about 27 years ago or something. And it was 25 years ago. It, it was like to... To, it was like a shoot 'em up tank game with, you know, soldiers on both sides, you know, and it, it, there was no memory in those things. Mm. But there were like a hundred sound files they wanted to put in there. So it's like, okay, now you've been shot in the arm. Ah, that's it. Oh, that was too long. Ah, that's better. You know, okay, now you've been shot in the stomach. Ooh, oh, that's too long. How about, ooh, ah, 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 you know, and, you know, is that, right now your head's blown off. Ah, you know, it was a, you know, and I just did all these sound effects of things, and it was like, now this is fun. Yeah. You know, and I always laugh because what a great way to make a living you know hey. just making noises making fun having you know wahoo you know <laughs> joy you know and, and uh, of course of all the, the the game characters I've ever done Mario is, is by so far my favorite I just I make one wahoo and I know I'm gonna have a great great day you know how could you have a bad time you can't. You can't do it. You can't. And that's what my thing is for, for people, too, as individuals. You know, it's like, be happy. Make, make your commitment to happiness and joy and gratitude and fun and love. Because when you're filled with those things, and that's what you're, you know, internally, too. Love yourself. Love your world, you know. Yeah. Have gratitude for yourself. Have esteem and value, you know, yourself and value your world. Because when you're doing that... It, the, the, the magnetics of resonance, you know, yeah. means that good things happen. You know, yeah. of course, bad things happen to good people all the time. But how you deal with life is, yeah. is up to you, moment to moment, you know. Yeah. And you can go into an audition and go, oh, my gosh, this is heavy competition. Or you can go in an audition and go, oh, wow, I love the way that guy has a big jaw. Well, look at that, I want a big jaw. You know, <laughs> that, that your focus should be on the game and the fun and the joy and not on the competition and the war and the battles and the blah, you know? Yeah. Because, you know, let's face it, there, in, in our world there's so much negativity. Yeah. And, and the truth is, 
life is fantastic. Life is great. Life is this incredible gift. All that negativity is just distraction. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't we, mean anything. That's awesome. That's pretty stuff. <laughs> is, um, have, have you done any, any uh, live action sort of acting as well? Yeah, you know, I, it's been a long time because I, I just don't have the time. I, I so admire all these other guys that are that are here at Armageddon Expo, you know, that, that, that do the, 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 the movies and, and TV shows. I, I just don't have time to do that. My focus is, you know, where my focus is, but uh, I, I've enjoyed, I did the game and I did nine months and I did a few films and television shows, you know, in the United States. Always fun. But, yeah. you know, for me, the, the most fun is... And have you got a, um, I mean, you're just, you're such a, just a lovely, sort of personable person. Oh, so you just, you. You've just been really great. So do you have, a, you. do you have like a, a, sort of like a favorite sort of fan moment? Oh, you know, I, I, it always comes back to the, there's so many great fan moments. I honestly, every fan I've ever met of Mario has been kind and considerate and thoughtful and, and grateful. I feel so much like Father Christmas. And, you know, this yeah. wonderful young man in London once said to me, you know, uh, uh, after I did a, a series of interviews for a, a game, he said, listening to you, your, your voice is like Father Christmas. It's just so <laughs> And I thought, that is the kindest thing anybody could say. And this, this boy in, in London, you know, it's just a wonderful guy. It was for the launch of Mario Galaxy. And he said, Mel Brooks was the voice of my father's childhood, and you're the voice of mine. You oh know, and God. just to be that vulnerable and tender and sweet with me was just so kind, you know. Yeah. But I also get a, a wonderful GI in, uh, in Germany, in Kaiserslautern, uh, said, uh, you know, well, sir, uh, I, I can tell you, sir, it's an honor to meet you, and, and your, your grandchildren must be very proud of you, sir. And I said, grandchildren? I'm only 48 years old. And he goes, well, my father's 46, sir, and he has three grandchildren by me alone. I'm like, whoa, you know? So it, every, every fan moment's been a great moment to me, and, and each, each time, times like that, you remember how precious life is and how short it is and how important it is to enjoy every minute. And do, do you have children yourself? I helped raise uh, some girls, three girls uh, that I uh, love. Uh, uh, one's at a graduate school, one's at a law school, and one is just starting college okay. in America. Are they yeah. game players as well? Yes, they they do. They don't they don't play uh, as many Mario games as I do, but yeah. uh, but they're gamers. And, <laughs> and do they uh, proudly proclaim that they're? Well, you know, it's the funniest thing. It's, it's the cutest thing because from the, their whole lives almost, I've been the voice of Mario. So for them, yeah. it's like, oh, my, my Uncle Charles, he is jolly, the voice of Mario. Yeah. You know, but their, their friends sometimes come over and go, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, you're kidding me. I spent, oh my, my, I spent my whole childhood with you. It's fantastic, you know. That is you, do that voice, do that voice, you know. And it's like, hello, it's me, Mario. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. You know, so. <laughs> it must have been pretty popular at school. It oh, it's very it's, sweet. They come around for lunch. <laughs> It's very sweet, you know. That is brilliant. This, is, this has been an absolute joy. Oh, thank you. This is thank you very really, much. Uh, really well, well, well. Oh, my Thank pleasure. you for your time. Just... Thank you. And thank you very much, everybody. Woohoo! And that was Mr. Charles Martinet. What can I say? What more can I say that, what, that uh, he hasn't already said? What, what a legend. Okay, so that was our first batch of interviews, and thank you so much to everybody who uh, took the time to talk to me. Uh, it was really great. It's just a huge highlight. I just uh, and a massive uh, fan moment for me, and 
Cindy Morgan. Thanks for following along with. Uh, for, for, thanks for not being embarrassed by my revelation that of my massive crush. Mm. <laughs> um, so coming up next, coming soon. Don't think I didn't hear your, dis- your disapproving uh, noise there, but you gave me permission. Mm. I'm sorry. <laughs> In cinemas, October 18, we get Oliver Stone's latest Savages, uh, which, yeah. Could go either way. Yeah. It doesn't look I'll like say from the from the trailers. Yeah, the trailer doesn't really doesn't look like doesn't really give you much. I think it's another. It'll be another a good good shot from John Travolta. Mm. I think he's, he does pretty well in his sort of like a side roles. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I mean, at least he's not wearing a dress. In this Blake one. Lively, she's just terrible. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway, we, we'll we'll check it out. We won't judge. Actually, we do. That's what we do. That's all we do. Let's face it. We judge before we even see these. That's things. the whole point of this podcast. <laughs> I suppose it is. It's with you know with our opinion. Anyway, I'm sorry. I don't know why I said that. Uh, we also get Paranormal Activity Four, which you know I'm kind of torn. It's it's. I mean, it's like oh my god, how far can you take this? I mean, seriously, stop it before it gets ridiculous. But the trailer I actually thinks looks kind of cool. So uh, I don't know. I'm not. It's Paranormal 4. I haven't seen 1, 2, or 3 yet. Yeah, I'm yeah. with Luke, and I think it, we'll stay that way. It's very much a one-movie idea that they've turned into a franchise. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with that, but I don't know. I'll see it I'll see it when it comes to, to home video. I love how, how old I am. I still call it home video. <laughs> anyway, um, and also uh, Safety Not Guarantee, which was uh, going to be out uh, earlier. We've actually mentioned this before, but we're only now just getting it, which is kind of weird because it's actually available on home video overseas. So um, so Safety Not Guaranteed, to, for those who don't know, is uh, a really, yeah, what I think a really interesting story about a, a guy who puts an ad in the paper for a time traveler companion. And so he basically says, because it's time travel, safety, your safety is not guaranteed. Um, and uh, he gets a report. A reporter comes out to investigate him, and um, he says that he's going back in time in order to save his love, the love of his life. But then she finds the love of his life alive and says, "Hey, what the hell?" And he says, "Well, that proves that my time travel was was uh, successful." So that's the basic plot. I just, I, I just think that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, I've always been a big fan of time travel, as you know. So it sounds like an interesting idea, yeah. and uh, I'll certainly be checking it out. Then on October twenty fifth, we get Tim Burton's Labor of Love, Frankenweenie. About a boy who brings his dog back to life. Pretty, mm, pretty cool. Uh, could be good. It may not be good. The, um, <laughs> who knows? The short film is fantastic. Mm. Yeah, it's brilliant. I'm just interested to see whether there's a feature film in it. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how. Who goes. knows with Tim Burton? I'm always willing to give Tim Burton a shot. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah, he, absolutely. The master. He, I'm, mm. I'm willing to. I'll go in with, with uh, my heart open. And if he breaks it, well, what can you do? Uh, we also get the apparition, uh, which I assume is some sort of ghost story. I didn't even bother researching it, to be honest with you. I think it's got something to do with ghosts in a college or something. Who cares? Just going by the title. Um, yeah, yeah, just going by the title. Um, Dread, which uh, we get later than everybody else in the world, which is kind of weird. Um, but I'm actually looking forward to that. The reviews have been good. Yeah, but it's bombed in the US. I don't, I don't get it though. But the reviews love it. Mm. The amount of people that love it, I don't understand. And it's basically, yeah, I mean, if for those of you who've seen it, the raid, it's basically Judge Dredd the raid, where he's like gets trapped in a, an apartment building. I'm really looking but, forward to it. But look, um, Dredd has never had the success in America that he's had in Britain. Yeah. Um, and you know other places around the world. Hmm. And from what I've heard, they've stuck very closely to the character as depicted in the comics. Mm-hmm. So that might be part of the reason why it hasn't been successful in the US. But I tell you what, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm great. Sad. How I'm can excited. you not be excited? It's yeah. great. I'm not surprised that you can get a lot of rave reviews without doing very well at the box office because people yeah. feel passionate enough, they'll say something. Yeah, totally true. 
Um, and also, we also get Argo, which is uh, Ben Affleck's latest effort, and it's a, it, it means a bit to to us because mm. we're all huge Kirby fans. And yeah. so, Argo is, uh, deals with uh, the CIA uh, faking the production of a movie called Argo, funnily enough, in order to uh, scout locations overseas and rescue some prisoners. Hostages. Uh, uh, hostages, in yeah, Iran. yeah. In Iran, that's right. Um, and it, it, it's the the Kirby reference uh, is that this, I mean, this is a real life event. This actually happened, and Kirby provided the artwork mm. for the um, yeah. the fake production. Mm. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. And Ben Affleck, I think, is a far better director than he is actor. Mm. And uh, not that he's a terrible actor. I mean, I mean Hollywood Land has proved that it's actually not the case. But it's I, I, I I've loved every one of his directing efforts so far, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Argo is getting absolutely rave reviews. Mm. Um, I've, I've read reviews where people are declaring that the film is virtually perfect. You know, it's getting 9 and 10 out of 10s from people across the board. So I'm pretty excited. It's a really fascinating sounding, you mm. know, actual event. Mm. Um, and like you, I've actually enjoyed Ben Affleck's ex- efforts as a director. And from what I've been reading, people are saying that this is actually the best thing he's directed to date. So... So that's it for episode 35. Don't forget you can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast or tweet us at at nerdculturecast. Or you can leave a comment on any post on our website at nerdculturepodcast.com It's like the helicopter version. That's Stephen Fry's shortened version of www. Is it? We all love Steven. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to this brilliance. You know you want to. You need you need NCP in your lives. Send us your love. Yes. Uh, next episode we have a Dust Jacket Make Room Make Room by Harry Harrison, which is one of Richo's picks. And our part twos to our new 52 One Year Later Roundup and our Armageddon interviews. That's it for me and from the crew. Richo. Subscribe. You all need a little richer in your lives. Luke, subscribe. And that's all I've got to say on the matter. <laughs> what? And Crystal. What? 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 <laughs> You're all mad. Bye. Bye. <laughs>